Investors, Bradley here from Watson Estates, and you're listening to the largest and fastest growing podcast for Toronto real estate on iTunes, Spotify, and Google Podcast. Today, you came to join us on Good Day as we talk about the Toronto real estate onslaught that, that continues. We're being bombarded, attacked every which way. I can't think of an area in which the housing market isn't being challenged right now. It really leaves us with many questions, and hopefully we can answer some of those for you today. As a broker and investor myself, I like to keep track with what's going on in the market, and I like to share such findings with my friends just like you. So today we're going to dive into what you can expect from some of the numbers that are going to come out in the next couple of days, looking at April 2022, maybe a bit of an early insight into what the Toronto housing numbers have to say. But also I want to get into the Trudeau budget that was put forward for 2022, which was announced not that long ago. There's discussions now, obviously circumstances have changed, that it could very much backfire. We're going to talk about what ways that could happen. And how are rising rates hurting landlords specifically? Some of the discussions we're going to have as we try and decipher everything that's going on. There's been such massive shifts. The news is all over the place. And I think we're starting to see an obvious movement towards the the pain that the real estate market is facing. But in the meantime, hopefully you guys are enjoying the wonderful weather. It's been beautiful this last week. I've had the opportunity of going fishing a couple times with my brother, John, and we get plenty of bites not trout, mosquitoes, but I mean, we're having fun, right? <laughs> Just like we do on the show. We love to have some fun, cracks and fish jokes. Like uh, a fish walks into a bar. It took them 395 million years. <laughs> oh, if you could, please hit that like button. Subscribe to, sh- subscribe to our show if you haven't. And I love when you guys share this on Instagram. You can tag us at Watson Estates. And I encourage you, if you want to find out what, you, what we're doing over at Watson Estates, you can check out our link tree which is Watson Estates, very simple. And um, we love having you guys tune in on the show and I love hearing back from you guys. I love that this is a two-way conversation, even though it's often me talking to myself, cracking one-way jokes and being both the the entertainer and the entertained. But uh, we love to have some fun and we love to talk about housing at no end. So today we're going to start off with the April numbers. We're going to talk about those. Those have not yet been released, but we absolutely have an indication of where we're headed. We're going to start with a stories.com article that's talking about this rapid decline we've been experiencing through the month of April, as we predicted, as we told you would happen, and we've been watching it in front of our eyes. Well, initial initial data compiled by Relosophy President John Pasalis comparing the percentage change in sold prices for low-rise homes in the first three weeks of April to the same time frame in February finds prices are declining across the GTA municipalities between 6 to 21%. It's concrete proof that the anecdotal softer conditions seen thus far this spring are indeed a reality. Agents have reported overall fewer buyers in the market, a dramatic drop in offers, and the resurgence of buyer market trends such as bully offers and conditions. Conditions. I'm really excited this week. We're going to be putting out an episode talking about the inspection condition and what that looks like. It's been severely challenged, and I'm really excited to have Alan Carson come on the show and teach us about the coalition in the inspection industry that is underway. What changes that can have? That's for that's for another day. But yeah, conditions. Who puts conditions? What's doubly unusual about this trend, says Pasalis, is that not only is a February to April price decline unseasonal, the current drop is much steeper than any seen in recent years. 
as we're comparing it for some of these big drops we've experienced, why is it that it seems to be dropping so much faster this time around? To maybe explain that to us today, here's what he says. The important thing for people to understand is that usually prices don't drop this quickly. Usually sellers are pretty stubborn. You guys who are sellers out there, homeowners, you know what I mean. Real estate, I'm going to undercut that one. But the reason why it's happening is because a lot of sellers who are listing now are actually people who bought homes and knew heat and who need to sell. And when you find yourself in a situation where you have to sell, you have this pressure to sell for a little bit less and what you expect because you don't really have any options, quite frankly. And we're seeing this tale of two cities, if you will, people who are out there looking for opportunities, looking for deals and can now have conditions. Even if you haven't sold yet, you're able to get what a condition of sale. People just roll their eyes. And I've had people even in the comment section say, what do you think that's possible? Guys, why not? Why not? When we, if we, I don't think we're all the way into a buyer's market yet, but if, and when that does happen, which could be in the next month or so, if this trend continues, then in that scenario, it's commonplace to see that happen. It's not even it's not even a question, but a lot of people have doubts. I've actually had a client who we, we saw, we went to a bidding war, and we saw that the second highest offer was accepted 90,000 below the highest, highest being with a condition of sale because people are terrified, absolutely terrified of sitting around and waiting to see if you can sell your home. People just aren't confident that other people can sell their house because realistically people are just listing it and they're just sitting. There's a ton of options, a ton of opportunities, which is maybe why they'd be willing to accept that. But according to the data, the smallest price declines, the ones that are doing the best are your favorite city and mine, Toronto and Richmond Hill at 6% each. So if you did well, you've only dropped 6%. Wow. Followed by Oakville, where it's down by 7%. So the lowest declines that we're seeing is 6 to 7%. That's still significant. So we are talking across the board in the GTA, hundreds of thousands of dollars everywhere. And the most declines, the most notable plunges can be found in the outer suburbs where they saw the most dramatic run up in prices during the pandemic's urban exodus era. Remember that time we were saying people are going to run away, but eventually they're going to want to come back. Well, yeah, that's happening. And in combination, people are thinking, why did we pay so much to be out here in the middle of nowhere? So the ones with the highest gain are now getting the highest pain. But why? Well, the big reason, the culprit, is, of course, rising interest rates. And I don't want to get into too many details of what that will look like in the future. There's so much in here. It was an entire episode we just released. I know you friends out there love to hear my voice. And often, you don't give my guests a chance. But trust me, we have good guests. Please, if you want to know what is the single biggest thing, the biggest change in our market right now, namely interest rates. You have to, have to, have to listen to what could be the best guest interview I've had on the show with Penelope Graham from Stories, whose article we are actually reading right now. And we go into depth on what exactly is happening with interest rates, because that is what's very much leading the charge right now. But in combination with this rising interest rate is really a depletion of buyers. Not And by depletion, I mean that they've been kind of brought forward when we knew interest rates were low. A lot of them were saying, hey, this is our opportunity to get in, get a low price. We'll lock in our rate. This is great. We got inflation. Why not hedge it in real estate? And so because of that, many of the buyers are just that we're looking to buy have bought. And so we're in a position now where we're stuck. They say, I think COVID and low interest rates and all the uncertainty pulled a lot of demand forward in 2020 and 2021. And when you pull demand forward, you're bringing people's home buying decisions forward. After that boom and acceleration happens, you're going to have slightly fewer buyers after the fact. 
So very much we're kind of struggling to find buyers. There's been this trend where investors have been the single largest group that has increased in purchasing and buyer demand, whereas everyone else seems to kind of have already been depleted. Well, what happens when investors are no longer making money? This is where we're going to head on our show. And they are the one group that's been growing in demand. Well, we see what we're gonna see in the numbers in a couple of days. But all signs point to a slower spring. Even in the new construction segment, BUILD, the Building Industry and Land Development Association and Altus Group reported March new home sales fell by 21% in March on an annual basis. You think that trend is going, is gonna bounce back up? I'm, I'm me no thinky. <laughs> I really don't. I think this is the start of something new. Economists are pushing their predictions down as well. RBC senior economist Robert, Robert Hoagie wrote that home prices are set to peak this spring, projecting a 2.2% decline in the annual average price by 2023. So it sounds like, you know, not a big deal. It's only 2.2%. But keep in mind, what's interesting to me is this is an increase in the forecast, which is originally a 0.8% increase. So there's more damage to be done to the housing market than initially expected, at least coming out of RBC, Robert Hoagie. But it's simply a correction to a record year is the counterpoint. Royal LePage Obviously, they're in the real estate industry and they love good news and there's so much good news to behold, right? We were expecting a 10.5% price increase. Well, now that Canadian home price has jumped up to 15%. And we talked about this on our last show. Well, the revised number comes after Canada's aggregate home price saw a 25.1% year-over-year increase during the first quarter of 2022, rising to a staggering $856,000. Well, this is the highest increase on record since Royal LePage began tracking aggregate prices. Well, here's what they say. However, even these forecast notes that slower times are indeed on the horizon. Entering 2022, we had anticipated a strong first half and moderating real estate market thereafter. I think everybody has our show included. But what's really noteworthy here is we're so focused on this, you know, 6 to 12 or 20% decline. Guys, we're com- this is coming after the fact that we've just experienced the highest record year in the first quarter. Like we're seeing this kind of bounce back. So really you've got two, I guess, groups. You've got those who have a hold strategy from 2022. You did nothing. If you did literally nothing, you just owned real estate. You have experienced this year, all things considered where we're headed, a huge win. We're we're talking falling prices, but we're talking after the fact of massive increases like we've never seen. But you also have this other group of buyers in 2022 who could be potentially screwed, who are now, whether they're trying to sell their home because who knows who told them, because we sure didn't, to, we sure never said, we, I made it very clear this entire time, my advice to my clients, this is why I have no clients stuck in this issue, is you want to know that your home is sold first, because this has happened time and time again. And the funny thing is, is history will repeat itself. I'm saying it here. You're listening. And for those of you who are committed to our show and been listening for the last couple of years, you've probably heard it before. Well, I'm guessing I'm going to hedge a bet that in the next five, eight years, whenever this happens again, the market's going to be crazy. It's going to be a seller's market. Prices are going to be running up once again. Interest rates are going to be on the way down. And people are going to think, well, it's so easy for me to sell. Why would I not just buy first? It's just going to happen again. It happens again and again. Well, Because of what happened, timing has worked against many buyers and they are potentially screwed. I hope you guys were prepared for that. And I hope that our show was able to encourage you guys to play smart as you're out there investing. 
Which brings me to question number two. We got a little bit of insight now on what's going on in our market. We're going to have more clear numbers. I'm really curious to see what happens with sales to new listings ratio. Months of inventory has been on the rise very quickly. We're starting to see a massive increase in new listings and a massive dropping in the number of sales month over month. All of these things are going to come out and we're going to be talking about them here on Toronto's number one real estate podcast. But let's get into a question for you. You guys, if you've been following our show, you are aware that Mr. Trudeau decided to put forward a budget, most of which entailed this massive creation of housing, a rapid increase. Well, we're going to jump into a CTV News article, talk about how that could potentially backfire. Keep in mind, this budget came out when the market was hot and it seemed to have no end in sight, apart from every prediction that was out there talking about the second half being a little weaker. But here we go. The federal government's plan to ease runaway housing prices by rapidly ramping up the pace of home construction risks, pushing up construction costs in the near term and could lead to oversupply in the long run. So we hear these two counter arguments, both of which cause issues, a massive demand up front. It's like when we see these people, these people being the government, giving incentives for you to do things around your house, because it's like we're trying to stimulate the economy. The construction industry does not need to be stimulated. It is more than stimulated. <laughs> we are at the peak, right? Like there's no, we need more people to do the work. And in the meantime, if in fact they can struggle through it and, you know, split themselves in half and do all the work times two, as the government has been asking them to do, then the next problem is, is, well, what if we overestimate the amount that we need to create and we put all of this effort up front, built it all, and now we have too massive of a supply. So I'm going to tell you guys, I'm going to read through their points, going to share my thoughts, but let's face it, you guys are savvy, you know what's going on. Make these calls yourself, folks. <laughs> Experts argue Canada's housing shortage is not nearly as acute as the government suggests. Noting starts are running at historic levels around 250,000 a year with a record number of units under construction, though completions lag. Quote, this is from Steve Pomeroy, a housing policy consultant at uh, Carleton University in Ottawa. He says, I think we definitely need new supply to meet increasing housing growth as a result of immigration. I believe that the 3.5 million is a complete exaggeration. So the question here is, are, have we over, are we overestimating the amount of housing that is needed? With all things considered, I, I disagree. I think there is a massive, an obvious massive shortage of housing in general in Canada. Well, they say the consequences, if we do try to increase it, is we will run into a whole bunch of issues in the supply chain, labor, land, materials, and we'll actually push house prices even higher, more demand. For the labor will charge more to build that house because everybody's trying to build houses at the same time. The costs go up, prices of house go up. It makes sense. Alarms are already ringing in Canada's construction industry, which is facing a dire shortage of workers and a retirement crisis, not to mention rising costs of lumber and other raw materials due to this little thing called the global supply chain crisis we've been experiencing. This I can see being a real issue. And a real backfire to this massive promise of building a ton of houses. The government is so quick to say we're going to find jobs. We're gonna, and this is a wonderful thing. We just need to take the immigrants and make them build the houses if we can make that connection. But it's just not that simple. There's such a shortage in these areas that we're just asking for increases in prices by, by artificially boosting the demand in the near term, obviously to address a very real issue, which is the supply crisis of housing. Well, we simply have not had enough housing supply in Canada to reflect a dramatic increase in our population compared to our G7 partner countries. The reason, a big reason, not the only reason, but a big reason is we have massive immigration. We need 
skilled workers. And Canada is a highly desired country and immigration is a wonderful thing. I'm a huge advocate for immigration. Well, Hassan points to the OECD data and showing Canada has fewer homes per thousand people than the G7 average, the existing shortfall adds up to 1.8 million homes. We need a lot of homes. With immigration set to increase and more young people forming new households, the current construction rate is barely, they say, chipping away at that gap. Well, this is from Bob Dugan, chief economist of uh, CMHC, a national housing agency. So obviously the CMHC is saying we're short. There's a lot here because we have massive immigration. So one of my questions that is just never up for discussion because maybe it's just not a healthy argument to stand on in a debate or in an election. I, I don't think this will come out in the Ontario debates is that maybe we slow down immigration. Right. If, if we're truly worried that we can't keep up with immigration as it relates to housing, which is obviously only one segment of the issue, then why not maybe slow down on immigration? I mean, we see this kind of pretend attack on foreign buyers because there's just recently been a two year ban on foreign buyers, but they don't count. That's not they don't need housing. They're buying up housing. Very much necessary. I think it's actually more kind of a artificial and and to kind of appease. I mean, it was a platform that everyone kind of ran on and it seems a very easy thing when there doesn't seem to be too many, too much of an impact from that group of buyers. Well, that's not going to deal with the massive amount of immigration, the growing immigration. We have targets that just baffle the mind and that we seem to be hitting and yet we don't have housing. And you know where they end up? They end up in the rental market. We're going to talk about the rental market and its effect as we get into investors. But this is going to spell disaster for people looking to be able to find housing, affordable housing. But there very much is a difference. And I've said this on the show, and it's more real than ever when I hear about these types of articles. There's a difference between the supply of houses and the supply of houses for sale. The news, the prices, the fluctuations, the balance, the sellers, the buyer's market world is all about how many houses are for sale. Right now, nobody would argue that that you can't find a place to live. If you're ready to purchase and you have the money, you can go buy. There's lots of housing on the market, plenty. And it's going to continue to rise. There's lots of housing. But there is a housing supply issue overall because of the projections of immigration. I think we could maybe deal with this rapid increases in prices. I think the increase in prices is more so, in my opinion, more so linked to the supply of houses for sale than for the supply of houses in general. So in the short term, if we can keep a nice lubricated market of the supply of houses for sale, we will be just fine. And that's exactly what we're seeing right now. But instead, a lot of the focus is often, it's easier to focus on that supply of housing long term. But Clearly, as some of the examples were given in this article, it could very much backfired. We're not in this case, we're no better than those freaking fish, right? We keep running up into a wall from an economic standpoint. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> wall. No. Moving on. How are rising interest rates hurting landlords? In the conversation that I had um, with um, with Penelope, we never talked about landlords specifically. We talked about the the overall interest rates. For those of you who have heard, this is going to kind of add on to that conversation. Very much interested in what is the impact on all of this to landlords. As a landlord myself, investors out there, it's the primary target. If you are not investing in real estate, I mean, good for you. You listen to our show. You're definitely savvy, but I don't understand how you're, you haven't recognized the potential 
for investing in real estate over the years. But I'm going to go under the assumption that you guys love real estate enough to invest in it yourself. Well, then you may be a landlord. And rising interest rates are very much hurting landlords. And so I think this part of the conversation is important to protect yourself and protect your co-landlord friends out there. And so we're going to start off with where interest rates are headed. Just very high level. This is better dwelling. Understand and believe it at your own risk. But the conversation stems from a Desjardins report that says that we could see interest rates rise up to 7% by next year. That's right, 7% mortgage rates. That is, sorry, not interest rates, mortgage rates over the next few quarters. Desjardins posted rate right now is 4.99 in line with the highest bank rate posted rate. But recognize that's the posted rate. The actual rate right now is floating at 4.19, which is what brokers are offering. And that discount of 80 basis points, which is typical of the market, uh, is uh, is out there. And that's usually what you pay. But I do think that the posted rate is, I mean, unless you're negotiating rates through the brokers, it's a good indication of where we're at because we were only at 3.99 last month. I mean, look at the massive jump. Knowing this, few will ever pay the posted rate. So recognize when we say rate will be at 7%, nobody's going to pay 7% or few will pay that unless if you're a sucker. <laughs> but over the next year, five-year mortgage rates expected to gradually climb. In interest rates are forecast between 5.3 and 6.3 by the second quarter and 5.3 to 7 by the fourth quarter. And that's where they get their high of 7 percent but that's massive guys that's massive even now five is massive and seven percent being beyond the stress test and therefore add two percent on top of that you're going to be getting approved through cmhc assuming they follow their rules and how they've kind of placed it all together at a nine percent interest rate who would have thought who would have thought that you'd be getting you'd need to approve yourself at a nine percent interest rate just last year by the end of 2023 the range falls then from 4.85 to 6.75 so slightly and the reason for this is an economic slowdown. We do typically see an economic slowdown in a following a rising interest rate environment. And so why will this be any different? But when, this is a good question that I think is extremely valuable. When does the Bank of Canada see rising rates slow down inflation? It's a question that I have. If, if we're, we're really watching to see these rising interest rates and they seem to be very aggressive and ready to rise, increase rates until inflation settles down. So when is that? Well, they see, they being the Bank of Canada, see 2024 as the soonest inflation can hit the target range. This is in line with other economists. So whatever the speed of the interest rate increases, we can, based on this expectation, expect interest rates to continue to rise between now and and 2024, which is very interesting for folks that are maybe coming up to the end of their mortgage. Maybe you've locked into a rate when rates were low because rates have been low forever. And you could be finding yourself, you know, refinance, renewing next year. And if you think rates are going to drop between now and next year, based on this, not true. In fact, it's going to become more and more challenging. I know for me, as I'm talking as I'm selling homes and I'm discussing with buyers why they're kind of moving in because you, there's not many of them, but the ones that are moving, a big reason for that right now is they're trying to lock in those rates. They've been giving 90 days to lock in rates. And so they've got these kind of waves where they recognize beyond that rates have gone up. My rates are going to go up. And so there is a level of desperation built within the buyers. So buyers are still out there trying to lock in those low rates. Just something to keep in mind. But also we're expecting another significant increase in June, as early as June, in interest rates. And so this dip, this step down that we just saw from the last interest in increase, 
I would say we'll have a real step down again. I, I think there's still more to come. And I think it's only going to get sweeter for buyers, which means that buyers who are negotiating and actually firming up on deals, make sure you're getting a good deal. There are good deals out there. Find them because you don't want to get caught closing in two months with a price lower than that good deal that you had last time. <laughs> it was a good deal. I swear it was. Freaking appraiser. <laughs> But some new landlords are losing money and this is where we're headed, right? We've got this increasing interest rate There's, and it's just the biggest thing since sliced bread. But we have landlords that are right on the cusp that are losing money already. So here's what they say. As high, this is by the way, a Global Mail article, as high as Toronto and Vancouver rents may seem to local tenants, landlords are often losing money on them. In recent years, many mom and pop real estate investors in the two cities have been quietly paying more in mortgage and other ownership costs than they receive in rent. And the tenant, they don't see that. You could do an appraisal and a refinance. The tenant is completely unaware of that. You could be sitting on a volcano and not realize it, trusting they'd eventually sell at a profit thanks to rapidly rising home values, experts say. But as interest rates shoot up and price growth slows, some highly indebted landlords are beginning to feel the squeeze more acutely. That financial pain could eventually push rents even higher. So here's my thinking on this. You've got a landlord. The story being yet a landlord, the rate, they're losing money, they're losing money monthly because let's face it, they're getting massive equity gains in Toronto. What a beautiful city to invest. Well, I don't think that when it comes to rents increasing, that it will be as direct as mentioned here. I think there's a little bit more to it. What I think is going to happen is landlords, they, they already want more money. If there was more rent to be collected in the city, they would be collecting it. That's, that's kind of what dictates that, you know, the, the, the market, what's available, maybe you can get a little bit more, but you're going to pay for it by waiting. So I think the market is already set up to get what it can. And landlords are always going to charge the most that they can, generally speaking for their unit. But What's happening here is there's less profitability in the way of equity gains. Toronto seems to be a pretty solid base and, and, and we seem to be doing okay relative to the rest of the GTA, but we're taking a loss with the promise of growth in equity. Well, what happens when that equity party ends and we see a 6% drop in overall prices? Is it going to push investors out? Are they right on the edge and saying, well, that's not very lucrative. I'm not making money on cash flow. In fact, I'm losing a lot of money on cash flow. And there's no promise because Bradley's saying we have a potential recession coming in 2024. So with these things on the go, really what, what value is there in investing in the downtown market unless I can get an amazing deal? Obviously, that's kind of the caveat. If you can get an amazing deal, then... <laughs> things just turn out a little bit better, right? But what's going to happen in that environment is investors are going to be far less interested in buying a condo downtown Toronto to rent it out. And so you're going to have less available units for rent. So for that rental market, we're going to experience a much higher increase. You're going to have massive demand, namely immigration, in combination, in concert with investors that are no longer interested in investing in that market, supply and demand is going to push rent to massive levels. And we haven't even caught up to the rent numbers that we had been in before. So for those of you who think, you know, like you can't, we can't have higher rents. That's not true. We're still playing catch up from the drops of rent that we experienced during COVID. So I would argue you could very much have this elastic band whiplash effect take place in the rental market as investors say, you know what? All my friends are leaving. This is the price. It's going up. But then you also have this combination where you've got 
you're only allowed to increase your rent by 1.2% in 2022. So you're stuck with this tenant. I've got, I'm losing money. I've got, I'm either going to sell it, in which case that puts pressure on the tenant, or I'm going to kick the tenant out in some other aggressive fashion. I got to do some renovation or something. I cannot afford to keep it. Maybe I'll sell the unit, dump the tenant and buy the next door neighbors for the exact same price. Who knows? But you're going to end up in this environment with a lot of tension between landlords and tenants. And the investors that have been seeing the most panic right now are actually those specifically who who are using a home equity line of credit. Here's what they say. With HELOC rates climbing, many of those highly leveraged investors are now scrambling to convert their line of credit balance into mortgage debt that comes with fixed payments. The risk is that some may not be able to do so. That may be because the additional debt they've taken on from the investment property means that they don't meet lenders' requirements. These rising criteria of of CMHC stress tests, as an example. But these requirements, they're getting, they're very tight. And so you've borrowed it and you now have an additional property from the time when you did borrow it. So you're what they're saying is, is by adding that extra property, now you no longer qualify for the initial one that you had. So you need to stay in that line of credit product. And another obstacle is the fact that climbing interest rates have raised the bar borrowers must clear to pass the federal stress test. We talked about that earlier. Yet another hitch is that mortgages, unlike HELOCs, require payments of both principal and interest, resulting in bigger monthly outlays for borrowers, he added. So your line of credit is pretty sweet. Yeah, the rates are a bit higher and they have been higher because you're taking the risk of potential rising interest rates, which you benefited from, but now you're paying for and you don't like. (laughs) It's funny how that works. But you've got this line of credit product that you're only required to pay interest on. Well, if you are going to make the plunge into that fixed product and you do qualify for it, you need to be able to pay for your your um, your pay down, your mortgage pay down as well. You've got a principal payment and an interest payment. So your monthly cash flow, if it was already negative, is even more negative. Is that Does that sound like a winning deal? Not really. Investors are already cash negative. Data provided suggests many investors who bought properties in the GTA in 2020 with the intention of renting them out aren't even breaking aren't even breaking interest or even sorry in March 2021 CIBC uh, Benjamin Tall and Sean Hildebrand president of Toronto based condo research firm Urban Nation found listen to these numbers 37% of GTA condo rental units registered in 2020 had negative cash flow 37% in 2020 had negative cash flow with the carrying cost of home ownership outstripping rent by an average of just under $500 for, per month for that group. In 2020, it's gotten far more tense in the condo market downtown since then. But we're talking already $500 a month less. If you're locked into a flexible product, a line of credit specifically, things aren't looking too good. Now it's time to sell. And my buyers are ready. <laughs> You can see where one where one person struggles, another will succeed. And and it really is, even though real estate is complicated, it's confusing. It's not that complicated. It's not that confusing. And this is why I love these types of conversations. I love seeing this coming. And there's more to come. <laughs> oh, this is the part where I say that this is not advice. This is just my opinion on what's going on in the market. But there is fantastic opportunities out there. I am so excited to have had 
people who have moved up. And as I've told you guys is the time to do in the last month and are truly doing very, very well, as well as first time buyers that have been all but impossible to enter the market with an, an abundance of options out there in front of them. Meanwhile, we have people who did not listen to the advice that are completely caught and are desperate to sell. And my clients are more than happy to, to take those off your hands. But I hope it's not you guys. I hope that through this show and through your other research, you guys have been able to kind of decipher the market and to win. That's the point. So why would anyone do this? Why would anyone invest? For many real estate investors, the main rationale of sinking in $1,000 would be to sell at a much higher price. In the GTA, people are investing based on the capital gains. That's the point. That's the point. Well, that's a bad move. I've been saying that's a bad move for a long time. And now you see why. Another group of investors are ready to accept the negative cash flow because they want to buy the house for their kids, right? They haven't been able to really get a place and this is maybe an opportunity or last option too. Well, still rising rates could lead some cash flow negative landlords to offload their properties and dissuade some prospective condo investors from buying with repercussions on the broader rental market. So I originally bought it so that my kids would have a place to stay. I'm renting it out. But now, you know, it's just really not doing so good. And let's face it, maybe there will continue to be like from where I'm sitting an opportunity to buy again in a year from now when things are a little bit more stable. How about I just offload that property and undercut the market and hurt the broader rental market? That's what's key here. Canada is set to welcome more than 430,000 new permanent residents in 2022 with all this going on with an even higher target for 2023 and 2024. International students have been flocking back to the country, adding to the number of newcomers looking for rental accommodations. And investors are saying poo-poo to hell with this investment strategy. And so some will be left behind. Those of you who have had an investment property, a condo downtown for years, have had massive gains. You're probably thinking, hey, I could cash out and take my gains. But what could also happen is you could see a significant surge in rental prices and actually be in a far better position. If you've been willing to eat it and bite the dusk for the last year or two, you could find yourself in a very, very healthy rental market. As for renters, not so much. So building more homes isn't going to address this. Investors go where the money is. Right now, there's no money in most GTA investment properties. And remember, investors have been the only group growing in demand the last couple years. The end result could be rising tensions between real estate investors feeling the financial squeeze and residents. There will be this tug of war between tenants and landlords. Okay. So before, I know this, this show feels like it's going a little long. Where are we at here? Yeah, we're going a little long, but this is going to be worth your while, guys. I wanted to tack this on. We have an election coming up in Ontario. Don't want to miss this. You guys are probably trying to decide, who am I going to vote for? For those of you who are, in, are, are not already decided. I, the last episode, we had the uh, Ontario Green Party making suggestions that I agreed with. In this case, they're more in line with with my view, and they're 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 really failing in what their platform is. This is interesting because... And this might seem like a tune change from what I've had in the last couple of months, but it's because let's face it, the market has changed. And so what worked two months ago is are not going to work anymore. So here's what we say. How can we help? And the idea is why not tax investors more? They're buying up the properties. They're taking homes away from would be first time home buyers. And so the idea is why not tack on a capital gains tax to the investors? And I've been a big proponent of this. I think it's a great idea when you have multiple properties to increase the, the tax rate. And I think in the long term, we should do that. But it's a great idea, but terrible timing, bad timing, man. I mean, if you want to make homes more affordable for first-time homebuyers and you want to crush the market before interest rates can do it for you, then yeah, I guess so. But as of right now, I think we have more than enough 
cooling measures in place, right? And this is the whole point, this onslaught that we're experiencing in the housing market. Everybody just feels like they need to put a step forward in order to bring the housing market down. The reason I've said this before, and it's still true, the reason the housing market will be going down is because we want it to. We want it to. And if you're not on the team of bring the housing prices down team, then you're fighting an uphill battle. Now, where do I stand in all of this? I'm now concerned. I've reached a point where I think that there needed to be things to be done, but interest rates are doing a fine job in that. They should have been going on a long time ago and they should have been a little bit more progressive because let's face it, everyone could have seen inflation rates coming the way that they have and will continue to rise. But why are we all now on team? Let's make big changes and, and slow down the housing market. The housing market is already slowing down. Is it maybe this bigger argument of the housing supply versus the supply of what's for sale? And maybe we, we you know, there are these underlying issues that have not been addressed. Yes, but let's save this fight for a day when it needs to happen. We have affordability issues in our market that are very much now tied to the rising interest rate environment and not so much tied to investors. In fact, I think more should be done to help the renter right now than really killing on the landlord. By really fighting the landlord, you're putting yourself back. But what was the plan? Ontario's Green Party is now promising to tackle housing affordability by implementing a 20% tax on domestic buyers. So we got a foreign buyer excluded. Then we got investors that are now going to have to pay what is very much in line with that non-resident speculation tax or foreign buyer tax. So we're just taxing anyone that's looking to use housing as an investment vehicle, which is fine. In a market that is raging with investors flocking and, and just eating up the market, but we have investors offloading. We have the opposite pro problem right now. And though I love seeing a balanced market, I want to make sure we are sound in a balanced market before we start dealing with long-term issues and just hitting these, you know, this massive like psychological buttons to try and cool the market down. I think we've got enough of them. I think, I think we're okay. Um, I'm going to go out on a limb and say that, <laughs> but I'll let you guys make that call. You guys can make that decision. There is a time for everything, right? We can, if we're going to drop interest rates in an environment where interest rates need to rise. Dropping interest rates is a fantastic idea, but not all the time. And I think that that's very much the case right now. So I'm all for relaxing, right? And I hope you guys again, um, are able to get out there, enjoy some time with the family and, and this fishing thing has been kind of fun. You know, I'm, I'm not a, I'm not a hunter. Uh, I've got that kind of basic, you know, entry level fishing license, <laughs> but I'll tell you, it does get frustrating when the fish aren't biting. Maybe I got to get the hunter license after all. It would be so much easier with a gun, right? But our society isn't big into school shootings these days. So I'm going to have to just stick with the rod. I will see you guys next time. I hope you enjoyed the show. Please hit that like button. Find us over on Linktree if you want to see some of the other cool stuff we're doing at Watson Estates. And I will see you next time. Take care and keep it real.